Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Got a very important show planned. This one is going to save the quality of your life and the quality of your relationships. We talked about a little bit, kind of rounding it out. It's something that comes up in every single therapy session I do. It doesn't matter who I'm working with. It doesn't matter what the issues we're working on. These core concepts are just woven in to the fabric of what we're doing here on this planet within our existence. Um, and it's, it's learning how to be a better interpersonal um, relator and interpersonal being. Um, that's really where our work is located. That's why I'm always advocating for us assessing the quality of all the various relationships we're a part of to really help determine the quality of our lives. And when we're not feeling good in our lives to focus on, well, how are my relationships going? They're not the entirety of your happiness, your mental health in your life, but they're a very, very, very big component of that. Um, they're the foundation upon which everything else happens, you know, making things easier or harder. And they also can buffer or shave down and soften some of the sharp edges of other things that are going on. So if it isn't the center point, it's definitely a thread that's woven in throughout. And one thing I noticed, and that's why this is something that is worked on in some capacity in every single session, whether it's an individual session, a marital therapy session, specific sex therapy work that I might do is we're always talking about these different components. Um, because they're all systems. And that's why even if someone comes to me with their partner and they say, we're just working on sex therapy, maybe even it's very behavioral, almost sex coaching, um, how to just improve their sex lives and all of that, these threads still exist in there because nothing happens outside of it. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, how we're thinking and feeling and interacting with the individuals in our lives impact the relationships we have with them. So we're gonna kind of break down what are the core components we need to pay attention to so as to identify what do we need to work on? Maybe you have to work on all of it. And there's no shame in that. Some people, when you hear the different components, you're going to think, yeah, I got a lot to do. Um, and again, we're not trying to point the finger at the other people in our lives because we can't change other people. We can only work on and change ourselves. So this is really for us to self-assess. Am I this person? Do I do this? What do I need to work on? Again, we're not pointing the finger. Sure, it's okay to identify, wow, that might also be something I wish my partner could improve upon. And in healthy, safe relationships, you can lovingly discuss that. Hey, you know, I was listening to Loveline and this came up and I, I noticed it might be something that both of us have some work to do. 
Uh, can I share with you what I learned about it and what I'm going to do as a result of it? Can we as a couple improve this? You can do that with friends. Um, I, and I love that because when I say relationships, I don't always mean romantic, which is what people assume. It also means all forms of socialization. So not everyone's partnered or wants to be in a romantic sense. And some people have more than one partner. Um, but we're always in relationality of some kind, whether it's colleagues, family members, friends, romantic partners, erotic sex partners. So there's these different domains. So we're going to kind of round it out. What's really interesting is this is something that we're not taught anywhere. And in fact, the early family of origins that we're a part of really set us up to have this modeled and mirrored for us, which very few people have. And so most of us are kind of stepping into the relational world at a deficit, having never been shown what healthy relationship looks like, what the skills are, because again, our parents didn't have it, didn't teach us it or show it to us. And then our friends, of course, don't. And then media is the worst example of that because we watch a lot of television shows which are popular because of how aggressive and dysregulated the people on the show are. Very few people enjoy watching shows where everyone's loving and kind and calm. Everyone goes for the drama. Uh, that's what's entertaining. And so we're definitely not getting it in media. And then God bless, I see a lot of people putting out the worst stuff on social media um, because they don't understand interpersonal neurobiology. They don't understand attachment. They don't understand regulation. And so you got to get it from somewhere. So we're going to talk about that. It's, it sounds so hyper intellectual, but it's really basic, basic stuff. So we're going to be kind of diving into that. And I, I, I speak from my own individual experience. I do the same work that I um, propose others do. So I'm in it. I'm a human. And it kind of takes me back to a little sound bite that I often use. People will say, hey, Dr. Chris, you know, wow, you write books on this stuff. You do media. You have clinical practice. You must just be the most amazing relational human being. My God, the relationships you have must be A++. And I say to them, well, no, <laughs> because the work isn't about the absence of conflict and difficulty. That is just going to exist. So I want everyone to know that. The work is not about have no conflict ever. No, it's about managing it better. And so I say to them when they ask me about how great my relationships must be, I say, I hope for you what I hold myself accountable to, that I deal with things better, catch them sooner, clean it up quicker, and repair faster and better. That's it. That's all. That's the expectation. Not that we will never lose ourselves. Not that conflict will magically disappear. In fact, conflict is healthy. I want people to have conflict. Just manage it well. Uh, learn about each other more as a result of it. Be closer because of it. Be stronger because of it. That's what matters more. Not that conflict is there or not, but how we manage it, how we are as a result of it. That's what we're focusing on. But that's not what we're really talking about tonight. It's not about conflict. It's more about these core principles that we want to think about or look at as a, as a way to assess where our work is within the world. Because this isn't even about partnership. This is how it is to be a better employee, be a better employer, um, a better parent. Going to be breaking that on down. And also for those that are raising children, God bless. This is what you'd want to start modeling for them. So uh, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We will be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, Shaw, we are back and looking at some important key concepts and components of um, being a healthy person in the world, <laughs> trying to be better, improving our relationships to those in the world around us. That's actually what we are doing, uh, not to mock it. And this is the problem. I think if you ask someone, ask yourself this actually, because we're, we're looking at ourselves first. We're being self-reflective. Um, if someone said to you like, hey, what are the core components of mental health? Or what are the core components of being in you know, a healthy relationship? What do, you, what do you need to be aware of? Most people are like, huh? <laughs> and that's the problem. If you don't know what it's supposed to look like, then you can't be working towards it or working on it. You gotta have a plan. Um, that's why we have recipes. You know, when you're cooking, you don't just throw a bunch of stuff in a ball and stir it up, especially not with baking. It's very precise. Same thing if you're working on some kind of exercise plan, because we're all trying to just move our bodies more. Um, sometimes it's important to understand um, how, what is the form? Uh, you don't want to go in the gym and just start throwing, slinging things around. Like I see people all the time at the gym that haven't taken the time to watch any YouTube videos or read any articles or pay attention to the movements others are doing. And so their form is off. And what happens is you not only aren't working the muscle you think you are, you're also possibly going to hurt yourself. Um, so we do want to learn form. How, how, how is it that we want to be? And so when I'm assessing someone's mental health, um, these are the four components I'm assessing. And so we want to always hold them in our minds uh, as an area to assess where do we need to do our work? Y'all got work to do. So if nothing else, let walk away from the show knowing that you got work to do. And these are the things I'm assessing. So it's kind of like when people say to me, oh, well, Dr. Chris, you know, because of the kind of work you do, do you just walk around assessing people all day? Well, yes and no. No, because no, when I'm out of work, I'm out of work. Um, I imagine, you know, well, maybe this isn't true. Y'all tell me. If you're an interior designer, are you walking around assessing the, the, the fabric, color, pattern, and furniture choices that are made? Well, yes and no. No, because you might not be as focused or attending to it. But yes, if there's something glaringly off or wrong or different, you're going to be like, ah, yeah, I, I tracked that. So it's a little bit of both. And this is kind of what I'm always noticing is these components when I'm watching someone moving through the world. Um, <laughs> and I see horrible examples of people that are just so un unaware of themselves. But again, I empathize with that because where are we supposed to learn these things? So we've talked about this in different components. I, I want to always make sure I'm swooping back through and reminding us of this. The first one is 
we need to get better at what we call distress tolerance. We need to get better at dealing with difficult emotional experiences. We have them and then we are infected with them. We act from them. We are often running. We often crank them up and amplify them. And the ability to be in emotional difficulty and to be able to tolerate and withstand it is important because the world is a very frustrating place. You can't move through the world being upset that someone didn't say thank you when you held the door for them. And then you're upset because someone, you know, cut you off in traffic. And then you're upset because, you know, Starbucks was out of oat milk. And then you're upset because it's like, whoa, that is not a life well lived. And the whole point is when we have distress tolerance, those things don't impact us or they don't impact us as much. The world is constantly throwing a lot at you. You don't want to move through the world constantly distressed about everything. That is an exhausting kind of person to be for yourself first. And you're also exhausting to be around because you ruin fun and good times because people never know what they're going to get because people feel like they're walking on eggshells because if anything disappointing or frustrating happens, they know that you're going to quote unquote lose it. So you want to work on distress tolerance, the ability to have some difficult things happening around you and you are not infected with it, um, impacted by it and, and having your mood shift. So what does it mean when we're working on distress tolerance? It means we are making room for all of these difficult emotions. We're becoming what we call a bigger container. We're able to hold and tolerate more without getting disrupted. It's, it's experiential. There aren't these steps of how to do it. It's like when you're learning to walk, no one walks you through what movements need to occur in your leg and ankle and foot in order to take a step. It's something that you conceptually and symbolically hold in your mind and you just kind of step into it's experiential. And that's what this is about. Just the idea. I don't want to be thrown off and disrupted by every single thing that happens throughout the day is as you already stepping into that work, the acknowledgement that the next time something disappointing or frustrating happens, happens, I want to be less impacted by it. It's a thought process that you try to step into the experience of, and it's called letting some things go. You have to learn to let some things go. You have to practice moving through the day saying, I'm letting that go. I'm letting that go. Because what we do is otherwise we choose to step into battle around everything. If you hold the door for someone and they don't say anything, let it go. Move on with your day. Because here's the thing. If we don't attached to an emotion or a difficult experience, it lasts anywhere from a minute to maybe 90 seconds max. Emotions, believe it or not, come and go. We have so many of them throughout the day. You're walking through the mall. Oh my God, you experience excitement because you see something. You then experience attraction because someone attractive walks by. Then you experience disappointment because a story you love is closed. We're constantly moving through the day with emotions coming and going. It's actually our baseline. But unfortunately, certain ones hook us and we amplify them because we take it on, we step into it, we battle. So distress tolerance is not battling anymore, just letting it go. Letting go doesn't mean you're saying okay. Letting go doesn't mean you're happy with it. I always use this example all the time. If I'm, if I'm wearing shorts and a tank top because it's a sunny day out and I step outside and it's snowing, I'm not happy about that, but I'm not going to get thrown off or distressed about it. I accept it. I say, okay. And I go back and put hoodie on and I go back out into the snow. You say okay to things that don't matter. 
okaying things doesn't mean I'm saying it's correct and it's right and I like it. It's just saying I'm not gonna battle this. If it's a different temperature out, I'll put a hoodie on. Someone cuts me off in traffic, they must have somewhere important to be. Someone doesn't say thank you and I hold the door open for them, okay, I'm the kind of person that likes to hold doors for people, that's why I did it. You stay soft. All right, we're gonna talk more about this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey, we'll be back. Oh, Rachel, we're back and uh, basically saving our mental health and our relationships because we're just talking about what are the different domains of relationality and mental health that we need to work on. And we're kind of breaking it down and there's four of them. And these are the things that make and break it. But more importantly, we don't want to be moving through the world distressed by everything as though we're just an open, sensitive, fragile wound where everything's ruining our day. It doesn't have to be like that. And we have different levels of sensitivity and it's based on what we've been shown, what we've been modeled. There's a whole lot as to how we get to where we are, but the work is not battling everything, not taking everything on, not having to feel everything. And that's part of just saying, okay, if you parked your car and you didn't put money in the meter and you got a ticket, no one's happy about that. No one wants that, but there's literally nothing you can do. It happened. And so you just say, okay, you hold the door open for someone, they don't say thank you. You say, okay, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying it's correct. I'm not saying that's okay, but I'm not gonna battle it. So some people don't like the word okay. For me, that feels really good because I'm accepting what is. And that's it, that's the acceptance practice. The, the willingness to no longer battle things. Someone cuts you off in traffic, okay, it happened, nothing I can do. I'm moving on. I'm not letting these things get internalized and throw my day off and distress me. I don't want the high blood pressure it causes. I don't want the hormone release it causes. I don't want the stress cortisol that is released that it causes. I just want to stay in my happy place. And that's what distress tolerance is about. A lot of people need to work on that. You can't be upset by everything. You can't battle everything. I move through the world watching people and most of the time they're things that don't actually matter and people should just let it go. But we don't, we pick every battle. Someone cuts us off, we road rage. Someone doesn't say thank you, we hold the door open for them, we make a snarky comment. What did you really just do there? You didn't right or wrong. You didn't teach them a lesson. You made both of your days worse and you actually look ridiculous. When you step into all these battles, you look ridiculous. You actually look disempowered. That isn't someone being a strong, powerful person by picking a fight over everything. It's quite the opposite. You're dysregulated. You are such an open, fragile system that every disturbance disturbs you. That is not someone who's empowered or strong, quite the opposite. The powerful, strong person is the one who's undisturbed. Again, it's more like a house. The weather comes and goes. The house isn't impacted by whether it's raining or by whether it's snowing or by whether it's sunny. It's anchored and it just lets it come and go because the rain will come and go. The wind will come and go. The snow will come and go. Be the house. Be the house. Be undisturbed by all these things that are happening around us. And that kind of moves us into the next point. So that's distress tolerance. The next point you want to think about is emotional regulation. What do we, how do we work with whatever emotions come up? Because distress tolerance is about not being bothered by everything, allowing it, just making room for these things around us. And then emotional regulation is how we keep our responses in check for those times when we are still disturbed by something. And the thing I've said on the show over and over that I think is a really great soundbite and takeaway is we are working on always right sizing things. I've talked a lot on the show about that right-sizing things on a scale of zero to 10, what kind of response is warranted based on the severity of what happened? And most of the things in our lives are a zero to a five. Five and above is reserved for violence and abuse. And for a lot of us, the daily occurrences are zero to five, things that are disappointing, frustrating, or letting us down. And they should have a zero to five response because it's a zero to five level of severity. It's not that deep. 
And so if you're frustrated or disappointed, that's going to be the response you should give. Someone cut you off in traffic. That's a bummer. Someone doesn't say thank you after you hold the door open for them somewhere. Yeah, that's disappointing. Hear the tone in my voice. Yeah, that's disappointing. No abuse or violence occurred. They weren't, it wasn't a disrespect. And disrespect is still zero to five. We don't want to be such open, fragile systems that someone's treatment, treatment of us determines our worth. So distress tolerance is making room and allowing things, not taking everything on and battling it. Emotional regulation is having an appropriate level of response. Think of people in our lives. Maybe you're thinking of yourself where everything is a 10, no matter how minor the disappointment or frustration is, everything's a 10. That is someone who's out of control and dysregulated. That is someone who's very much struggling with their mental health. If something is just a disappointment or frustration, it should be a one or a two where someone's like, oh yeah, that's a bummer. Okay, I got a parking ticket. Oh, that's a bummer. Okay, I wanted it, I wanted you to have gotten me some food on the way home. I'm disappointed. I'm not gonna crank it up to a 10 as though abuse or violence occurred because clearly it hasn't. So that's emotional regulation, regulating ourselves, calming ourselves down to an appropriate level, saying how severe is what just happened? Great, let me give it an appropriate response. And the distress tolerance is not being infected or battling everything, and they go hand in hand. One helps the other and the other helps that one. It's a system. Right-sizing things, letting things go, having appropriate responses, labeling things appropriately. Was that abuse and violence or was that a disappointment and a frustration? Okay, let me crank it down. And as I'm saying all this, I even feel better and softer in my body. Who wants to move through the world constantly in distress and upset about stuff? But more importantly, no one wants to be around people like that. And you're impacting those that are around you. If you're a parent, you're impacting your children's mental health if they're constantly around that energy. Friend, your friend doesn't want to constantly have to deal with that. Where you're calling them losing your stuff on the phone over every little thing. Have some tolerance. Be better able to tolerate some of those distresses. Be more regulated. We're going to talk more about some of these finer pieces. Um, when we, we're going to come back and do some DMs, and uh, then we'll get back to talking about this because this is important stuff. So stick around for that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back, y'all. So don't go anywhere. All right, y'all. We are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, starting the suspect that my partner might be having an affair. How apropos for today's topic. He's 34, and I'm a 32-year-old woman. We've been together for a long time, but recently he's going out with his friends more, and they're all gay men. I really don't like the idea of confrontation, so is there anything else I can do to maybe get him to be more open and honest with me? A thousand questions. Um, why do you mention that the people he's going out with are gay men? What's, I don't understand the relevance of that. Um, that doesn't mean anything. Um, some people are straight, some people are gay, some people are bi, I'm not sure what the communication is in that. Are you trying to imply that you think he's cheating with them? But why? Because they're gay. Like, I need a little more information. Um, I don't like the idea of confrontation either. We should never confront anyone. We should have an, a, a calm adult conversation. We come in at a zero. If we are hot or triggered or upset, that is not the time to start or have any kind of conversation. So I would say, wait till you're feeling calm. Also, we connect before we correct. And so although we're not trying to quote unquote correct, that mantra applies. Start with connection first. You don't come in hot. So you come in calm at a zero. You correct, you connect first, like, hey, how's your day going? Blah, 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 great. Can I talk to you about something for a second? Something's been in my mind. You then go into a vulnerable 
question, hey, for whatever reason, I, I seem to have a sense that maybe you're cheating on me. Can we talk about that? That's it. That's all you do. And if you're in a healthy adult relationship with someone you trust, then you will correct based on their answer. If they're like, honey, no, I'm not at all. Then you're like, good to know. Because we are only in relationships with people we trust. And if we don't trust them, then we shouldn't be with them because they're not healthy. Or we have to work on our issues learning to trust people if we think it's us who needs to learn how to trust. So you have to kind of suss some of that out. But I have to assume you're with someone healthy because you've been with them for a while and that they will honestly answer questions like that. Um, because that's what your question is. Is there anything I can do to get them to be open and honest with me? And the only thing you can do to answer your question, to get someone to be open and honest with you, is to come in calm and to create a safe space to process whatever it is we're processing, which in this instance is the possibility that maybe he's having additional relationships sexually with other people. Um, that's all we can do. But before that, and for everyone listening, we wanna make sure we have a good foundation. So that's work you should have been doing, and maybe you wanna do that work first, which is we have to make sure we build the kind of relationship that can tolerate honest, intimate questions and processing. So again, if you have a high conflict relationship, he's not gonna trust that you're safe enough to be honest with. If you don't have deep, honest, vulnerable, transparent conversations, then he's not gonna have the ability to come and do that with you. So maybe work on building that first if you don't have that, and everyone should work on that so that we can, as adults, talk through difficult, hard to have issues and conversations. But if we don't have that already, well then when we need it, we don't have access to it. It's kind of like I tell people, if you're struggling, be in ongoing therapy because you can't, the day you most need it, call around and think you're gonna find someone who can see you that moment in that day. You work on being in a process already. Just like if we wanna be able to deal with these issues if and when they come down the road, whatever they might be, we have to build the kind of relationship that can tolerate it. Just like if someone wants to make an intimate disclosure, like coming out to someone, I say, do you have the kind of relationship that can tolerate that? No, you don't, you don't talk, you don't express, you don't, well then work on building that first. So that's my first question again, is what's the foundational health of your partnership? And if you've already been doing the work, well then, off you go with all the recommendations I gave you. But if you don't, you have to do that first because part of people's willingness or ability to give you honest answers around really difficult topics is that you are safe for them to share with. Parents that say, why aren't my kids honest with me? Because every time they are, you yell at them, shame them, and punish them. So you've told them, I'm not going to be someone you can come to. But if every time they do come to you, you are open and you are calm, and you are accessible, then they will come to you. So part of this is about your husband's experience of you during difficult conversations. If you get angry, lash out, and you're dysregulated, well then you're right, you won't get a real answer and he'll lie to you. And that's because of the way you've presented yourself. You are not safe for him to answer that question. You know, you haven't created that space, so work on that first. So this is really more a question of just the global functioning of you and your partner. Because I want people to be able to ask questions like that. I want people to give honest answers and know that you can talk about it and work through it. But if he's expecting to get you know, punished or yelled at, well then, yeah, he's going to lie. You know. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Y'all stick around and don't go anywhere. Oh, Rachel, we're back. And... Uh, Talking about mental health, relational health, regulation, this is something that comes up every single session in some capacity with the clients I work with. One of the most important skills I teach my patients is these skills, these emotional regulatory skills. So before the DM, we were talking um, about distress tolerance, which is the ability to tolerate 
difficult moments by not battling all of them. We are letting some of them just go, saying okay to some of them. Okay, that happened. Doesn't mean we like it, doesn't mean it's correct. We're just letting it go. And then we're talking about emotional regulation, which is where we're right-sizing everything. We're not making everything a huge deal. I think one of the more important ones is, and again, there's so many different words for this, so you gotta find the one that works for you. Having more mindfulness. We tend to be very mindless, which means we're not aware of our minds. We're not aware of our thinking. We're not challenging our thinking. We did a whole show on this where we have to work with our thinking more. Um, what is it I'm thinking? And is that thinking actually rooted in reality? Because our thinking determines our mood and all of that determines our behavior. So if you're feeling depressed, for example, ask yourself, what am I thinking? And most likely you're saying something about yourself, the world, or your future. Is that true? What's the evidence? Is that right-sized? We have to get better at that. That is the one missing piece. People think something and they're off and running with it. My friend didn't call me on my birthday. It's because they're not a good friend. That's your thinking. But the question has to be, is that true? Have you checked in on it? What's the data? Is that rooted in reality? Did you call them and, and express you know, frustration that they didn't show up and ask them, can we talk about what's going on and why that might've happened? That might not be the best example, but there's gonna be a lot of them in our lives where our thinking is gonna determine our reality, but often our thinking isn't rooted in reality. And we also did a whole show on that, which is the idea that our brains have a negativity bias and our brains very much catastrophize and our brains make predictions based on our past. So our first thought isn't really often rooted in reality. It's usually rooted in our historical traumas. It's not your, in, it's not your intuition often, it's your trauma. And so you have to ask, you know, what am I thinking here? Always say to yourself, what am I thinking? What, what narrative have I made up? What story am I telling? I'm telling a story and it's not often rooted in reality. Sometimes it is true. We find that out because we ask, but often it's not and it's dramatic and it's negative. So we have to get more mindful. What is it I'm thinking? Or what story am I telling? Or what meaning have I made out of that? My friend didn't call me on my birthday. I've decided that it means, fill in the blank, that doesn't mean that's true, that doesn't mean that's accurate, I'm gonna to have to actually find out and check in because we always wanna be living in reality. And if it's a marital issue, you ask your partner, hey, you forgot to bring home dinner, can you help me understand what that was about? Because I'm wanting to make it about you not caring for me and I know that that's not necessarily true. And instead of buying right into that and picking a fight, I'm on the same team, let's process this. That is what that should sound like, but we don't do that. We, we, we buy into our thoughts because we're mindless. We don't even acknowledge we're having a thought or acknowledging what the thought is or if it's rooted in reality. And then we have feelings as a result of that story. You didn't bring home dinner, so I decided and made up in my head that that's because you don't love me, so now I'm gonna feel bad and now I'm gonna pick a fight. See how the thinking and meaning you made turned into emotions, which then turned into behavior versus saying, oh man, you didn't bring home dinner. That's very disappointing. Notice how I'm doing some distress tolerance. I'm like, all right. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna tolerate this feeling. I'm feeling a little bad. Emotional regulation, I'm right-sizing it. My partner forgot to bring home dinner. That's a disappointment or a frustration. That's like a level two or three because five and above is violence and abuse and that didn't happen. And then I'm working with my thinking. I've decided in my head, because my head makes up stories, that's because you don't love me. Instead of getting, you know, off and running with that, I'm gonna lovingly ask, hey, help me understand that. Here's what my head's telling me. And then your partner's like, oh my God, no, I had a really hard day and I was running late and I wanted to just get home. Oh, good to know. Let me update my thoughts and my feelings based on the reality you just provided for me. Great, let's now go out to dinner together. And then your night is saved because you didn't buy into the story you made up. Your brain is making it up. Sometimes you are correct and your partner will be like, yeah, you're right. 
you know, we haven't been getting along and blah, blah. And then you can also talk about that. Okay, let's work on getting back on the same page then. But either way, you're not buying into your thinking, which determines your mood and then your bad behavior often. Instead, you're checking in on, you're holding it lightly. If nothing else, just work on that piece in addition to the distress tolerance, in addition to the emotional regulation. Because our brains aren't correct. Our thinking isn't always true. In fact, most of the time, like I said, it's not. Our brain makes predictions based on past behavior. Your brain's like, well, it reminds me of and it looks close enough to, so we're just gonna go with this. That's what your brain does. But that's often wrong. It's filling in the blanks incorrectly. <laughs> you have to step outside and look at your thinking. You have to examine your thinking, not fuse with it. You have to have someone who's experiencing and looking at the feeling. You have to be in the driver's seat with your feelings in the passenger seat. Because often the problem is what we're thinking and often the way we're relating to that thinking. We are constantly through the course of our day, whether we realize it or not, interacting with our thoughts, not the real world. But we're not used to taking space from our thoughts and looking at them, so we just connect and buy in. But all day long, you're not living in reality. You're living in a lot of false assumptions. And we become, we become controlled by these conditioned thoughts and reactions versus examining them and deciding what to do about them. All right, we're going to talk more about that when we come back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all, we're back, and we're talking about interpersonal effectiveness. What is that? It's a lot of different things, but it basically is the quality of your relationships. Uh, take a break and check in with yourself and say, How's, how are my relationships? Are they chronically a struggle and an issue? Do I have ongoing relationships with individuals that are important to me and things go well? Or am I chronically having problems and always struggling, always fighting with people, losing friends, friends coming and going? That determines your mental health. Mental health is our ability to be in relationship. And so if you're constantly battling with people, if people are constantly disappointing in you, you're constantly fighting, they're constantly drama, you have a lot of work to do. Our mental health is required and is demonstrated within all that. So interpersonal effectiveness is a lot of different pieces. <laughs> uh, first one is, do you prioritize relationality? Meaning, do you put people first? I talk about this a lot. People have to come before everything else. And if people are coming after your gym workout, if people are coming after work, then you have your priorities backwards. And understandably, your relationships are gonna be a little more shallow and, and not as intimate or connected. Again, some individuals might say things like, oh, I work 40, 60, 80 hours a week and I wanna have a happy family and I want my friends to feel good, close and connected. No, it can't work like that. And when your priorities become about time with your family, time with your loved ones, time with your friends, you realize that, again, as I say on the show all the time, give work 70% max. Don't give your friends and your relationships your leftover, dirty, sloppy energy and time and attention. It can't work like that. They have to be equally as valued. So you have to start to make those adjustments. In our earlier life, we tend to prioritize friends, and then we step into career and education, and we start to balance a little bit. Slowly, though, unfortunately, as we get older, we make work our primary, primary site of importance, focus, and time, and energy, and attention. But again, we only have so much time and energy in the course of a day, a week, a month, or a year. And if you're putting that always away from your relationships, you have your priorities wrong. They should be prioritized. So interpersonal effectiveness is doing that. Now, when we move beyond that, we also talk about things like empathy, our concern and care about how we're impacting others. That's another big piece of interpersonal effectiveness. Do you care about 
how people feel while around you? Do you care about the people, the way you're impacting individuals of all kinds as you're moving through the world? Empathy is often lacking. So is its kind of brother or sister component is what we call mentalization, which is trying to understand what's going on with someone else. And I give the same examples for this all the time. Someone doesn't call you on your birthday. And instead of personalizing and assuming that it's a commentary about you, mentalizing means we first go, what might have been going on for them that day? What might be going on for them in their life right now? We take into account that people's lives are in motion and that that usually is what's directing their behavior. What kind of day did they have? What else did they need to put their time, energy, or focus into? It's called mentalizing. It's very similar to empathy. We understand that people are having their own experiences. If someone is rude to you, you say first, what might be going on in their day? Clearly, they're having a hard day if that's the way they're interacting with someone at Starbucks in line. So I'm not going to personalize that. I'm not going to pick a fight or make it worse. I just let it go. That is a sign of mental health and interpersonal effectiveness. You're like, clearly, they're having a bad day. I don't need to get infected with this. I don't need to take this on or step into it. I'm just going to ignore it. That is massive. And that incorporates all the things we've talked about. But empathy and mentalization is lacking, especially in a lot of the couples I work with. We never stopped to understand what something might have meant for someone. They forgot to, you know, again, pick up dinner on the way home. And we get upset and we frustrate, we name call, we attack instead of saying, what might be going on for them? What are their priorities? Might they have been battling? And having some care around that and not making everything just about you and the fact that you didn't get the dinner you had been waiting for. Then we move even beyond that. And I think as important, I was going to say more important, it's really as important, is this idea of looking at our, what we call maladaptive coping mechanisms. What is it that you do when you feel disappointed, frustrated, or let down? What is it you go to? Do you attack? Do you name call? Do you blame? Do you ice them out and shut down? And now, and we identify what those are. What are your favorite tools of dealing with disappointment and frustration? And then starting to identify when we're utilizing those and choosing more pro-social, healthier behaviors. Instead of shutting down and icing them out, you reach out and call them and say, hey, I'm a little disappointed with what happened. That is adult functioning. Instead of name calling and blaming, you vocalize the pain. You say, wow, I'm really embarrassed or that really hurt my feelings. Let me share and can we talk about that? You, you're honest, it's called living in reality. Instead of avoiding, instead of trying to control, instead of trying to punish or harm, you soften and you lean in and you share your true emotion and you share your true experience. That is what we're working on. When in doubt, speak. When in doubt, talk it out. It's also called one-to-one -one relationships. Instead of calling your friend and complaining, reach out and call the person you have an issue with and talk it through. Instead of putting someone on blast on social media, reach out to the person you're upset with and talk it through. Imagine that, going directly to the person. Of course, call friends, your therapist, and process maybe first how to best do that, but the goal is at some point, reaching out to that individual themselves and processing and sharing versus blaming, name calling, gossiping, cutting them out, blocking them. Yes, we do that with maybe toxic people, but most of the people in your life hopefully aren't. And if they are, get them out. But for those that are healthy, for those that we do want to keep close and connected with, that's the work. So be willing to do that. So that's called again, what we interpersonal effectiveness, having empathy, mentalizing, meaning understanding they're having a different experience and trying to understand what that might have been. And then also understanding what our favorite go-to coping mechanisms are when we are feeling wounded, hurt, disappointed, embarrassed, let down, and identifying it and not doing it. All we can change is our thinking, our behavior, 
and our relationship to things. And we're trying to make ourselves a little more flexible, a little more open, a little more adaptive, not so rigid and patterned, because that's what gets us into the problems in the first place. We're trying to move beyond that and outgrow that. But it takes a lot of self-reflection. If you don't know what you're working on, you're not working on anything. And we all got work to do. So know what it is you're working on. That's the whole key to all of this. Self-awareness, mindfulness. Because again, we move through the world mindlessly, totally unaware of our thinking of what we're doing. All right, we're going to talk more about this. So uh, stick around and don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Oh, Rachel, we're back. And uh, I want to just kind of close up talking about journaling. Why? Because did a show on it a couple years ago, and it got a really a lot of feedback. And I also think that it ties into kind of what we're talking about tonight. And for those that are joining us now, you can check that out by going to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down there for Love Line and click on it. It's all there. And just talk about different ways to kind of move through the world in a better way, more relational, more relationally minded. And I think journaling is a great thing. I wish all clients did that. You know, for those that are in therapy, uh, please do post therapy, sit and spend some time writing out what was meaningful and important to you, what you want to think more about and take out with you into the week. Journal every day about how that work is going. Where did I do the work? Where did I not? Where do I need to improve it? Where have I, you know, where am I proud of myself and that I want to celebrate? Where did I kind of maybe let myself down? Um, I also think it's important in addition to that for people to be doing bibliotherapy, which basically means books as therapy in addition to your primary therapy. And even if you're not in therapy, um, you know, again, we spend hours focusing on things that are important to us and, you know, just to use a very LA centric, uh, reference point. Cause this is a lot of what's in my office. People will put tens, uh, you know, so much time into their meal prep and, and redirect, you know, redecorating a room or their home. Um, maybe even going to the gym and working on their physical muscles, but we put zero time into our brain muscles, we put zero time into working with our thinking. And that's where journaling comes in. It's a great way to say, what am I thinking? And how is that thinking tied to the mood I'm having? Am I feeling depressed? What, what thoughts am I having that are most likely not accurate or catastrophize that are making me depressed? Let me process through that. I'm feeling anxious. Why? What am I telling myself? How likely is that that, that will happen? And what, what kind of impact would it, would, it, would it have on me if it happened? And what resources and ways do I have to cope? Processing through, reading books that center on the things you're struggling with. If you're depressed, read books on how to work through depression while in therapy or not in therapy, read books on how to deal with your anxiety. There, there's so much material out there, but people want it quick and easy. I say to my clients, the work isn't what we do in my office for 45 to 50 minutes. The work is what you do with what we do in the office. You're going out into the world. You have to apply it. It's like school. You're taught, in, you're taught it in class, but then you need to know those things. The teacher doesn't. It's for you. Study it, practice it, apply it, read more on it. Everyone does that in other areas, but we tend to not do that in mental health. So A, know what you're working on. B, journal it to work with it. C, read more books on it. I want more people to be doing that. So that's where I think journaling's great. Tracking down, what am I tending, what do I, what do I tend to feel? And, and what is it that's leading me to feel that way? Are, is my thinking even grounded in reality and true? That's what journaling, journaling allows us to do. It can be very structured and, and specific and, and pointed, or it's more globalized. But I think it's a really important coping mechanism. I think it definitely helps us learn about ourselves, but it also can ground ourselves. It slows us down. And a lot of times we are so caught up in our emotions or our thinking and what's happening. And journaling is a way to both ground ourselves. It's a way to work through. It's a way to learn about ourselves, to see patterns and habits. Wow. 
I'm always feeling anxious when fill in the blank or whenever I'm feeling bad, it's because I've just spent time with or I've just spent time talking about, again, learning about ourselves. It's a way to track it, but it's also a way to feel like you're doing something with it and a way to kind of take action. It can help people sometimes before bed when they're feeling anxious, write down what it is you're thinking. And again, how likely is that? And how bad would it be if that did happen? And what resources and solutions do we have? working with our emotions better. Because a lot of people just think, if I'm feeling something, I'm off and running. No, our feelings and our thinking are, are secondary. They're next to us. We don't have to buy into them. We don't have to be impacted by them. We don't have to be infected with them. We want to actually take distance from them, notice them, observe them, interrogate them. Is that true? Is that real? Is that honest? Is that helpful? Let them pass, if not, because all feelings and thoughts come and go if we don't attached to them and fuse with them, but we don't have a lot of experience practicing that. So we don't realize that we think that if I feel something, it's real and I've got to act on it and neither are true. Often it's not real or grounded in reality and you don't have to do anything about it. It can actually just sit there because inevitably it drifts. Our thinking is always bouncing from thing to thing. The problem is when we overbuy into it and we fuse with it and we ruminate in it, let it go, let it pass, let it move on. Journaling is a great way to do that. So I want to recommend that to everyone. It's a way to just start doing something while also, I hope, reading some books and actively doing some kind of work on ourselves. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people, like I said, come into therapy thinking that that one slot once a week is where it all happens. And it's like far from, far from. But we have to be willing to kind of step in and do this. It's it's not, you know, it's not simple stuff, but we've had years and years and years of reinforcing the wrong thing. So it's going to take time to undo that, which is why this show exists. And for those that want to check out past episodes, because it's another way to be spending time and working through some of these topics is media, a, a healthy use of media. So Loveline exists podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. And you scroll down there for Loveline and click on it and it's all there. And that's what we need to be doing at least, at least once a week, but ideally multiple times a week. However many days a week you go to the gym is how many days a week I'd expect you to work on this. However many days a week you work on, you know, your wedding is how many days you should be working on this. However many days a week you work on whatever else is how often you should be working on this if it's important to you. And if not, then you're left living the life you live. You know, the quality of our life is the quality of the practice. Our quality of our mental health, also the quality of our practice. We're going to come back to some DMs, so stick around and don't go anywhere. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, Shaw, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my partner and I have been talking about wanting a threesome. We've been spending the last few months fantasizing and watching threesome porn together to get to know our boundaries and our turn-ons. I love that. If you two can, as a couple, even watch porn and talk about what you enjoy, what you see, what you want to do, you're not ready for a threesome. That's a great place to start. I always tell couples to start there. Start by, in a safe way, having others brought in via porn. Seeing each other, witness someone else, um, witnessing your partner, enjoying someone or something like that, talking about what you most value and what you're watching, what it is you're hoping to have happen. That's beautiful, beautiful. Um, You said we're both getting ready to invite a third, but don't know how to go about finding someone we're both attracted to and who is interested. There is the biggest conundrum. Uh, finding someone who's interested in both of you, finding someone that you're both interested in. Yeah, it's not easy. That's why throuples, God bless, when they find a third person that they're all relationally interested in and building with, woof. You said we would like to take them out for dinner to get to know them. Any recommendations on how to compassionately carry this out? Oh, the C word. I love that you're thinking in terms of compassion because this person's a human being and is as important and deserves as respect as each of you do. Um, I don't have a great place for you to do that because there's no place or space that promises there's going to be someone that you're both attracted to. I don't, I don't have control over who's at the coffee shop, the bar, or on the apps, right? Clients will say that. Where can I go to meet someone I'd like to date? Well, I don't know where there's a place that promises your exact match is going to be there the day you're there. It doesn't work like that. So uh, there are apps for finding three ways. Google it. Um, I can't remember. They keep changing the name of it. Um, but there is an app for couples. There's actually more than one app for couples that are looking for three ways. And that's a really great way that you two can set up a couple's profile and swipe around. Even apps like Tinder, you could set up a couple's profile. Those people are on there as well saying, hey, I'm in an ethically non-monogamous relationship. We're looking for a third. Um, put it all in your bio, set it up together. So do some Googling. Apps are going to be what's always going to save everyone because you can be on there when you're not on there, right? You know, if you're going out to a bar, you have to physically be there on an app. Your profile is always accessible and you can find people that maybe aren't as you know, local as, um, would be, you know, if you're out in the world. So try the apps. Um, otherwise 
it does sometimes happen at bars, but again, I don't know that the night you go is going to be the night that someone you're both interested or is interested in both of you that they're going to be there. Um, a lot of single people are looking for primary partnership. And so some of them think that they can't be both having sex while also looking for that, which of course you can, one doesn't negate the other and one sometimes leads to the other. So I don't know, again, I can't promise where you can go find someone that's attracted to you and attracted to them. It doesn't work like that, but where you can find people that are maybe open to threesomes online apps are going to be your best bet. Otherwise, like I said, you're going to just be trying to find them at a bar um, and just one of you hitting on them and then introducing the idea to them. It's going to take time. It doesn't usually just happen overnight. So you're going to put the time and effort into it, just like dating, just like anyone who wants to hook up. Because that's kind of your question. How do we find someone to hook up with? And whether it's finding someone who wants to be with a couple or one person doesn't narrow that down. And the people that I work with clinically and my friends that are looking for hookups, they do it at bars, they do it at the gym, or they do it on an app. So there you go. You know, and that's why I'm thankful for the apps. Otherwise, I don't know, would you put an ad in the newspaper? You had to go to, uh, you know, somehow tap into these like, you know, because there are sex clubs and dungeons. Um, those aren't always about that, but that also could be a space where you can meet people that have a more confident and diversified sexuality. So I'd find the most, you know, nearby city and look for um, dungeons and sex clubs and go together and you'll start networking and you'll start being introduced to people and you'll meet people there. So good luck. But more importantly, I like that you're using this as a way for you both to get close and comfortable together. I like that you're pushing on your boundaries and trying to find ways to keep sex dynamic, creative and interesting. Um, and I like the use of the word compassion and I like that you're slowly moving into it. But um, again, we can't just naturally produce this person that's gonna like you as much as you like them and that both of you like the same amount. Um, it might be that one of you is more interested than the other is. And that tends to be how it goes. It's just about sexuality. You're not trying to date them or form a relationship. So don't put too much pressure on it, you know? And after that, if you want to do it again, you're going to have to go back out and put that legwork in yet again. You know, there's just no easy way. Um, but I like where your heads are at, more importantly. Y'all got a question for us? Drop it in the DMs on our Loveline and G page. Questions, topics, things you want us to hit. Circle back, drop deeper into. Always anonymous, always confidential. Helping others as you're helping yourself. DMs on the IG page. Otherwise, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. That is our show. We'll be back. Join us then. Have a great night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 